We're going to start. I, I want you. Well, let me put this way. I want you to turn to John chapter thirteen, verse number thirty-seven. But just kind of stay where you're at, because it'll take me a while to get around there, and this ain't the normal where you read and just start preaching. Okay, I'm going to. It'll take me a little bit to get into where I want, and then when I get in there, I'll be moving slowly, and so we're, it's not your typical. I'm going to read a text to preach on it. Okay, so just just bear that in mind. No need to get up or any of that stuff this this morning. So we have here in John chapter number thirteen, where I told you to turn to it. I'm going to start reading there eventually. We have this setting going on now where Jesus is in the upper room, right? He's got his disciples around. They are celebrating the Passover. Now, as they are there in this upper room, think about what has been going on. For the last three and a half years, these men, and there may have been uh, all 12, there may have been just 12, or there may have been more than that. Uh, We know that there were 11 apostles later, uh, minus one, uh, which would have been Judas. But when we talk about the disciples of the Lord, we need to make sure we understand that disciples are more than those 11. In fact, the truth of the matter is today we should still be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are learning from him. We are studying and that's the idea. That's the concept that's behind there. So there may have only been Jesus and the 12, or there may have been more uh, in this upper room. But regardless, they are there in the upper room for the last three and a half years. They have been following the Lord. They have gone out in their ministry given by the Lord and preached and taught there. Uh, they have uh, they, they've cast out demons. They've healed sick people. Uh, all of these things that Jesus had given them to do. And they've been following him, expecting that the day would come when he, being the Messiah uh, would come and set up his kingdom here on this earth, right? That's what they knew him to be. That's what they expected him. Uh, Remember back there that he had asked them sometime prior to this, uh, who do men say that I am? And then some would say, or they, they, they related to him that uh, some said that, that that he was Jeremiah or some that he said that he was John the Baptist or that he was Elijah or one of the prophets, right? Uh, and he asked them, he said, whom do ye say that I am? And it was Peter that stood up there and said, thou art the Christ, uh, the son of the living God. They called him, he is the Messiah. He was the one that they were looking for, that they were expecting. And so all down through the ministry, They were looking for that day when he was going to come and be the king and he was going to rule and reign in so much that James and John there. Remember, they're they're fighting together with one another. They're having their, they're asking the Lord. They're having, they're bringing their mother in to ask the Lord, uh, you know, to, to, to permit them, the one to sit on the left hand and one to sit on the right hand. And I'm here to tell you, they weren't looking a thousand years down the road. They were looking at the next day or two. Uh, That's, that's what they were expecting. And so now they, come down to this last week or what we know to be the last week, right? And that uh, they have came down to Jerusalem. It's time for the Passover. And on their journey in there, remember that was the that was the last time that he came into the city, right? And as he's coming into the city, he is fulfilling prophecy, right? He's riding upon a donkey, right? Uh, that the people are spreading the palm leaves there in front of him. They're casting their garments in the way. He is riding into the into the city of Jerusalem, and they're crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna to the king, right? And so they're exalting him. They're praising him in so much that the Pharisees came up to him and said, tell them to be quiet. They're not supposed to do this. And the Lord's response, I love it. He says, if they were to hold their peace, he said, the rocks would cry out in this day. And can I say, I heard a preacher one time preach a message. Don't get replaced by a rock, by the way. Hey, we ought to be praising the Lord even today. Uh, but here's the thing. And so they seeing all of that happen. I don't know about you, but if you're expecting Expecting him to be king, that ought to get your attention, right? Uh, that's got you kind of stirred up, all right? And so then he goes in later on in that week there and cleanses the temple, right? He casts out the money changers and all of that. And he sits down and he begins to teach there uh, that the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the lawyers, all of them come after him one after the other after the other with questions. And they're asking him these trick questions, trying to catch him up. And he's answering them perfectly. He's putting 
turning them all to silence. That every doubter, everyone that would challenge him is being put down one after the other. He's even getting to the place where the Lord begins to ask them questions and silences them. Uh, and so we, we remember that question that he asked. He said, uh, the son of David, who do you, who, sir, the Messiah Christ, whose son is he? Uh, and they say, well, uh, you know, he's the son of David. And he kind of comes back and he says, well, if he's the son of David, how does David in, in spirit call him Lord? He's quoting the 110th Psalm, I believe it is there, where it says, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. And so that he is silencing them. He's putting them to shame. I can imagine they're probably standing around looking, all right, we're getting there now. I said, we've got all of these naysayers. They're put down. The people are behind him. They're praising him. The multitudes are around there. And now they're up there. They're beginning to feast. I mean, what a what a, what a celebration that they are reminded of the time that the Lord miraculously delivered them out of the nation of Egypt, out of the bondage uh, that they were in. And here they are in the Roman bondage, right? They are being governed. They are governed by Rome. They are taken over. Uh, that they are oppressed there. And they're, they're celebrating the time that the Lord delivered them from something like that. And I can imagine they're sitting there thinking, man, this got to be the day. If there's going to be a time when he's going to do it, this will be the time when he starts to do it. And they're celebrating the Passover up there. Uh, that Jesus has washed their feet there. Uh, they, they, they have begun to do the different things. And all of a sudden, when it should be a time that, that is going to be filled with joy and celebration of day of expectation that the Lord begins to drop one bomb after the other in the way that I like to describe it. He is going to take their expectation and he's going to dash it one right after the other there. He say, well, how does he start? Well, he starts in this very chapter here. And he says there in verse 21, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Now, I don't know about you. If you're celebrating and you're in a crowd of your closest friends and group that are following this man that you've been following and he looks around at you and he said, there's somebody here that's going to betray me. Can I say that that right there would get my attention, would it not? I don't know about you, but that kind of casts a bit of a cloud upon the celebration there. And all of a sudden they begin to look around and they say, is it I? Is it I? They're trying to figure out who it's going to be. Can I say that if you've got to ask the question, is it me that's going to betray you? That is probably not you. Right? The one who's going to betray him knows who he is. In fact, he already knows here in this, in this setting. Uh, but what we're going to find out is the Lord is going to identify him there. And finally, he goes and they, after they keep asking and they keep bugging him, he says, It's the one there uh, to whom I'll give sop. And he takes the sop and gives it there to Judas, right? And Judas takes it. And the Lord looks at him and he says, What thou doest, do quickly. Now, that's not the way we typically handle a traitor, is it? If we know without a shadow of a doubt, somebody that's going to betray us. They've already made the covenant. They've already got everything in order of what they're going to do. We're not just going, when we find out about it, we're not just going to simply release them to continue on, are we? We're going to tie them up somewhere. If they, if they even survive. But no, the Lord releases him. And so what happens? He has the traitor, the one who has turned his back upon the Lord, is released to go out and continue what he's going to do. Well, I don't know about you, but that, that kind of brings down the celebration just a little bit. And so you say, well, that, that's just one event. They're going to continue on. Well, as he's going on after that, he begins to drop the next one over in the book of Mark. You'll see where he says this, that he tells them, he says that tonight uh, that they're going to smite the shepherd, right? And the flock or the sheep will be scattered there. And so what he's telling them is this. He's telling them that all of you are gathered together with me tonight. And yes, you're standing here around and you've pledged your allegiance to me. You're going to follow me. You're my disciples. But coming come tomorrow, uh, that, that they are going to smite the shepherd there, that being him, and that all of you are going to be scattered away. Well, the truth of the matter is it happens that night. 
Later on that night, we know that's when he's arrested there in the garden. And what happens? They just all go their separate ways. There's one that, that continues to follow him. And I think it's remarkable that that, that, that one person that continued all the way, uh, he, as far as I can read, he never left there. Uh, that they took him over to, uh, when they arrested him, remember they'll take him over to Caiaphas, Annas and Caiaphas, they're the high priest, and this person will be there in the courtyard. He'll be the one that'll let Peter in here in a little bit. We'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, that he's going to be there because he was a friend of the high priest, right? Or was known of the high priest. Uh, and that we'll find this same person on the next morning there as the Lord is hanging up on the cross. He's standing at the foot of it. You say, well, how do you know? Because the Lord speaks directly to him and gives him a mission, gives him something to do there. You say, well, who is that? It's the one who's writing this book right here. It was the Apostle John that stuck it out all the way. He said he was the one that is dealing with all of that. But it, the, the thing that has been given here by the Lord is that it's not just that you're celebrating now. You think it's going to be great. But no, the moment is coming fast, fast uh, that all of you are going to be scattered away from me. And then, of course, we know Peter. I love Peter in the Bible. I thank God for Peter. He helps me. You say, well, what is the, what's so great about Peter? He was quick to open up his mouth and insert his foot. Peter there, uh, he, he's, they're going through all of that. Uh, and Peter says, I'll never leave thee. I, I'll not go anywhere. Uh, we understand. We know Peter did eventually. Can I say, I'm glad that though Peter promised to never leave us, that he, he broke that promise. But when the Lord promised to never leave us, Ricky was talking about that, that he was there with us when we slept. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so that means that even while I'm asleep, guess who's still there? He's watching over me. By the way, I'm thankful for that because I sleep real quiet too. I heard real soundly too. I mean, it takes a lot to wake me up. Uh, and so I need somebody watching over me while I'm asleep. And I'm glad the Lord said he'd be there. But, it, but Peter says, I'll never leave it. Uh, and, Peter, and Jesus is going to tell him in this here in John that he's going to go somewhere where they can't follow anyway. So it's no big deal. And, and Peter will say, whither I go, thou, uh, thou, or he'll tell, Peter, he'll tell Peter, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me after. Verse 37, Peter said unto him, Lord, why? I cannot I follow thee now. I will lay down my life for thee. Peter says, I'll go wherever you go. Now we know what's going to happen. That the, Peter is going to betray him that three times, or not betray him, that, that three times he is going to deny that he knows the Lord. In fact, that's what the next verse is. Jesus answered him, When wilt thou lay down thy life for me, for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And so now he is telling Peter, he says, Peter, it's not enough that you're going to turn away from me. He says, you're going to turn away and deny me in my presence, by the way. He was there with the Lord nearby when he does it. Now, can you imagine? This is supposed to be a time of celebration. And man, the Lord's just kind of brought it all down, hasn't he? I mean, you're talking about killing the mood, right? We, we've all got these people that we think if we're going to have a little bit of a celebration or a gathering, like so-and-so, we're not going to invite so-and-so because they're just going to bring it all down, right? Normally, we wouldn't think about the Lord being that kind of a person, but that's what's happened here, is it not? That he's kind of brought down, what's he doing? He's preparing them that there's going to be a rough patch ahead. There's going to be some difficult times going forward. And he's getting their mindset for that. And I began to think about it this way. You know, if there was ever a time that we needed to understand there's going to be some rough times going ahead I, I think we're in that day. The Bible tells us there in the last days, perilous times shall come, right? It tells us that it's going to be right. Can I say we live in a day now where we understand there are those who have turned their back upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We were talking about them in Sunday school. They got no desire to come. More important things to do. Not only are there those that have completely turned their back, we, we live in a day uh, where, it's, where we have seen what the Bible talked about, a falling away, right? Uh, we all times we characterize that as those who have departed, those who are not showing up, or that, that, that the churches aren't that full anymore, uh, that we kind of find it hard to get a crowd. Hey, do we not live in a day where it seems like you've got to pull teeth to get Christians to show up to church? I mean, if you're not having a dinner, you're not going to have very many. 
Now, don't get me wrong, I ain't against dinners, but that ought not be why we show up to church. I'm all for it. We have as many of them as we want. But that's the kind of world in which we live in. And I look at it, and you can, you can get mad at me if you want. I, I don't really care. But COVID identified that, right? COVID showed us, but prior to COVID, the churches were actually doing pretty good, most of them. Uh, even these little country churches had decent, con- decent congregations. They had people that were faithful and regular to church. And all of a sudden, COVID comes and we decide, well, we'll, we'll, we'll follow the Lord, but we're not going to put our life on the line for Him. Sorry. I'm, truth, right? Get mad at me, I don't care. We like Him, but we ain't going to put our life on the line for it. And so we closed down the churches, right? And now all of a sudden we are year, we are a few years past that now. I understand COVID's not going away. I said that on day one. Once it's here, it's not going away. I was talking to a man in the church to, uh, who was calling to see if I was free to preach there this, this, uh, uh, this morning for them. And he said that they had several there in the church that had uh, COVID there uh, and they had RSV and uh, uh, that they had others that were sick. I told him, I said, even if I was free, I don't know that I'd have come. And then I might not have wanted to come into that mess. <laughs> he said, you know, I kind of thought about that. But anyway, that's besides the point. But, but we understand that those things are still going on, but we're, we're well past all that, right? Well, where are all those people now? They've turned away. They've scattered. I believe more than anything else, COVID identified those who are real versus those who have been playing. Now, I understand we all get into bad places in our lives. I've been there. Okay, I've been in places where I wasn't where I ought to be, uh, what I wasn't doing, what I ought to be or ought to be doing. I've not just got the sunglasses, the T-shirt and the hat. I've got multiple copies of them because I've been there that many times. All right. I understand, I get that. But we live in a day now where there has been this scattering. But not only that, uh, there are those that are scattering, those that are denying when they're out in public of what they are. Because let's face it, being a real Christian this day and age is not popular. Oh, you can be a Christian and be okay. But being a real Christian and truly standing up for the Word of God and for what it says, that's not popular. In fact, it goes against everything that most people want to want to understand in this day and age that they want to believe, and so it's not an easy thing to. And therefore, we've got those that uh, that that when they're out there, yep, they'll deny. When they're here, they'll praise the Lord. When they're out there, they'll deny the Lord. Kind of like Peter, right? They're not willing to stand up for the truth. We live in this this day and age where we've even got those who know the truth and that that have taught the truth and they're turning from it because it's not what brings in the crowds. I've settled the idea, the concept that I'm not going to be a popular preacher. Uh, Many reasons why, but one of the reasons is because of what I stand for when I'm willing to preach. And I'm not going to change it. It doesn't matter to me if I end up having to stand out there in the woods. It's the only place I got to preach and preach to the trees and the squirrels. I'll still stand out there and preach for the truth if that's what the Lord tells me to do. We got to understand that we live in this day. And when you stop and think, it's kind of a depressing time, is it not? It's kind of a time when darkness abounds and uh, there's so much that's going on. It's not that different from what's about to, what the, uh, uh, the apostles are about to face, what they're about to go through, as the one they've been following is about to leave. He's going to be crucified, he's going to be buried, lay there for three days. Then raise again on the third. But he's still not staying. He's going up. He's going back. 
And Jesus is preparing them that times are going to be rough. Times are going to be difficult. And so in the midst of all of this of chapter 13 there, as he's telling Peter in verse 38, he says, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. By the way, that chapter marker... That's not in the original text. I guarantee you that. I don't know about you, but I, I read through this sometimes and I read it that way and it's like getting whiplash. Because here we have been just bringing down time after time that, that Christ has been telling them what's going to happen. He's telling Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. And I step back and I think only the Lord can give this type of message. Because He's told them about the darkness. He's prepared them. Now He's going to give them something to sustain them in it. He's saying, Peter, I know you're going to mess up. Don't let your heart be troubled. Can I say, by the way, I'm glad that when I mess up, I know that I've got one that I can come to and I don't have to be troubled that I'll never be received again. Hey, Peter, if, if most of us were around, Peter had done to us what he did to the Lord, we never wanted him back. Yet he's going to preach over the book of Acts, right? And he's going to preach the very first message and 3,000 souls get saved. Turn around and, and preach another message recorded in that book and see 5,000 souls get saved. Two messages recorded that he preached. I don't, he may have preached others. Two that are recorded that he preached and 8,000 souls get saved. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good return. In this day and age, we kind of, it kind of flips around, right? We'll preach 8,000 messages to see two souls saved. The Lord is giving them something to help in the darkness. To something to help when the road gets rough. And, and as I begin to think about this, this thought, I, we live in a day where we need something to encourage us, something to help us when the road's getting rough. Because it's going to be it's going to be hard for a while, I think, to be a Christian. I think it's going to get more difficult. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm not telling you when. I'm not telling you how. I, just looking at the world in which we live. And I think we're getting now down near the end. And it's not going to be easy. And so he's telling us this. He says, yes, there's going to be darkness. Yes, you are going to see some things. There are going to be those that are turning from the truth. There are going to be those that are turning their backs upon the Lord. There are going to be those that are denying Him, that are not interested. But let not your heart be troubled. You know, there's time and time again in the Bible where, the Bible, where God will tell us that we don't need to worry about things. I know we do. Something I've, I've worked on, and I'm getting pretty good at it, but not worrying. Over there in the book of Philippians chapter 4, one of my favorite passages, it says, let not your heart be... Or it says, uh, be careful for nothing, right? That word careful means basically means to be worried, not to be filled up with the care of something. But be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving with in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God will keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Can I say what he is reminding us is there is some things that we have access to in this day and age, even though it's dark, even though it's rough, even though we look around and think, man, I, I just like to quit. I, I like to give it all up. It's not worth the time. It's not worth the effort there. And he's going to remind us to let not our hearts be troubled. And he's going to give them three things. He's going to give them several chapters of it, but I'm going to give you three things. I'm not going to preach the whole sermon which is multiple chapters. He gives them some things to encourage them right off the bat. And it kind of lays a bit of the foundation of what the rest of this section of Scripture is going to follow. But it gives them, first of all, he says, let not your heart be troubled. And then he makes a statement, ye believe in God. Now, I'm not much on English. I'm not much of a grammar student, but I'm pretty sure that is an imperative type of statement, right? You believe in God. It's not a question. You say, well, wait a minute. How could it not be? Because these were the people that followed him. If they're following him, it's because they already believe in God. Right? 
in this day that we're dealing with. And so he's looking around, he's dealing with an Israelite, and with an Israelite there, or a Jewish person <coughs> that is following him, it means they already believe in God, but they, but they go beyond believing in God. They believe in the promises and the word of God, do they not? Because they're following him. Why? They believe him to be the Messiah. What do they say? They believe him to be the one that God has promised all along. They believe in the promises of God. For an Israelite, that's a big deal. Because we go all the way back there to what? Abraham, right? And that's where the promises that are specific to the nation of Israel stand. And those promises that God gave them, gave Abraham, that he'd make of him a great nation, right? Uh, that he would give that land for an inheritance for his people, right? That he would bless them that bless, uh, bless Abraham and curse them that curse Abraham. By the way, if I really truly believe the Bible, there is no way I'd start a battle against the nation of Israel. You doomed from the word go. Just saying. <laughs> God's people are not going away. And so that he, he gives it that. He goes beyond that with Abraham. He says, in him, in this line, in Abraham's seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, right? And so he's promised Abraham. And not only did he promise Abraham, he passes that down to Isaac, right? He promises Isaac the same thing. And he'll pass that on down to Jacob. And Jacob will be the one that's called Israel, right? And he'll pass that down through the sons of Jacob. And they will make up the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And so the promises that are laid out and all everything that's given there, uh, that they're placing their faith. They believe and stand upon the promises of God. They even come down and remember what God had promised David there. Uh, that, that, that God, when David said God, that he wanted to build a house for God. God looks at David and he says, you're going to build me a house? Tell you what I'll do. I'll build you one instead. And we know David never got to build the temple. Solomon did. But he said, I'm going to build you a house. And he makes that saying, he said, there's going to be your seed to sit upon the throne of Israel forever. He said, well, wait a minute. We just learned how God took them out. Right? And from that point, there has never been a seed of David on a throne ruling that nation. So God missed his promise, right? I don't think so. Because I don't think God was looking at the throne down there. Because David didn't see that as the throne that actually was ruling Israel. Pay attention when you read through some of these Psalms. And notice, if you look at the commentaries, if you've got these study Bibles, you'll see what they say. When they, You'll see a Psalm that's written specifically by David. It's titled the Psalm of David, right? Uh, in that little subscript or whatever, superscript uh, above it. Not, I'm not talking about the little notes that your Bible puts in. I'm talking about some of these uh, Psalms will have a little something above it, uh, these little things. And that's part of the Scripture that we got under. We got to understand. It's usually in a little bit of a different font there uh, and so that you'll see and then sometimes they'll identify as a psalm of David right and David will be writing a psalm about how the king is ruling over the nation of Israel and how the king is going to do this and how the king is going to do that and the commentators will say well he was writing about himself in the third person and so by the way do you ever get aggravated people who talk like that uh, it would be me too if that's the way it was actually happening I, I don't think the commentators get it I think David understood some things that the commentators don't and that is this yes he may have been on a throne in the nation of Israel but he wasn't the king there was one above him back to that 110th psalm right the Lord said unto my Lord that's a psalm of David look just above it the Lord the first one is all caps in our King James Bible I've, we've taught this before, but I just want to remind you, in our King James Bible, the Lord in the Old Testament in all caps, that is Jehovah or Yahweh, whatever name you want to use. That's the proper name of God being used there. That's the Hebrew word behind it. It says the Lord, God the Father, we'll think of it that way. 
said unto my Lord. Now it's a capital L with lowercase O-R-D, right? It's proper case is what we would call that. And so he said, the Lord, God the Father, said unto my Lord. Now wait a minute, he's the king, right? The king is, is the top. He said, there's somebody above me. Because that word is Adonai. Is the word that lays behind that one. And it mean, and it basically means master. The one that is above me. Can I say we look at it this way? It's God the Father. He said, the Lord, God the Father, said unto my Lord, God the Son, sit thou on my right hand until I, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Right? And so David recognized that it wasn't about the seed down here on the earth that was the one that fulfilled the promise, but rather it was the one that was seated upon the throne. That's the fulfillment of the promise. And by the way, he ain't never left that throne. And they would have been looking back and they're thinking that the, that he was the one they've been looking for. You said, believe in God? He said, do you believe in the promises that God has? He says, if you believe in those, believe in me also. And that's what he said. You believe in God, believe also in me. Because he is confirming to them that he is the fulfillment of the promises all down through the Bible, right? there. I, I just touched on two, but there's promise after promise after promise there. Uh, that, 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 that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of He's already fulfilled so many prophecies by the time he gets to this point. And so that he is reminding them. He said, I am who you think that I am. Is what he's reminding them. What's he done? He says, you have got a firm foundation for your faith. He's got something that you can stand on. And can I say in a day of doubt, in a day of darkness, in a day of things that you cannot understand, you need somewhere where you can place your faith and stand firm on a foundation. Well, I'm glad we got that, got that today as well. The Bible will, t- will look at this and think about the same way. Do you believe in the promises of God? I already talked about the one. He said he'd never leave thee nor forsake thee. Can I tell you, I don't matter. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how depressing it gets. I don't care how difficult the road gets. I don't care what it looks like around you. The Bible has said that the Lord God, that Jesus Christ will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Can you truly stand on that promise? And that's just one. Over and over and over again. We look around sometimes, and I don't know about you, I look and wonder how I'm going to make one or get get through one month and get before the next month gets here. You know, that whole idea of making ends meet, right? I, the, the, this Bidenomics, right? Man, it, it, it's good stuff, right? <laughs> uh, you know, we live in a world now where uh, economics, right, or, or the idea is that you make, that you have to spend more than you can actually make just to survive. I mean, w- what's going on? Well, the government's trying to make us like this, right? I'll get off of politics now. <laughs> We live in a day, right, when we look around and we wonder how we're going to get from one day to the next, from one paycheck to the next from time to time, unless you're one of them wealthy people and I ain't made it there yet. Uh, according to the according to some of the people that I know that have been sending me messages this weekend on Facebook, that all I got to do is apply and I get $50,000, right? People that I talk to all the time that, that are tell, that they're just now telling me this. I'm like, where where you been? I know it's, I have fun with them. But anyway, we live in that day and age, right? Can I tell you, remind you that it is not your responsibility to provide for yourself. I'm not telling you to quit your job. I'm not telling you to quit paying your bill. I'm telling you, it is not your responsibility to provide for yourself. It's God's responsibility to provide for you. That's what he said, right? Remember Jesus teaching? He said, if you'll feed the birds, if you'll clothe the grass... He said, how much better are you, right? I think you'll take care of me. Now, I'm not sure that I may be eating steak all the time. I may have to come down to the place where I'm eating a cold bologna sandwich. And if you know me and my taste, that's about as far down as it gets. I mean, that is absolutely no other choice. I'm eating cold bologna. But he still promised he'd provide for me. 
Hey, what we need to understand is even in this day, do we stand on the promises of God? Because that's what's going to get us through. A firm foundation for what we believe in. I'm glad I've got something that I can stand on like that. But he didn't stop there with them. He, he goes on. We talked about this passage last week and about the, the picture that's there of the wedding, wedding going on there. Uh, I don't want to get into that. I want to think of it this way. He says, verse 2, he says, In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, I'm going away for a little while. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And by the way, can I say thank God he did that he prepared a place there. He pla- I, I believe he placed his altar upon his blood upon the altar there in heaven and it's been prepared that I can now go there. He said, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. You say, well, man, that that sounded pretty good. He's reminding them of a far better future. But can I say this? Understand, we're not talking about this life because he's already told them, the apostles, the disciples, the ones that are around them. He said, I'm going, he's told them this many times. They're not really getting a grasp on it but he's warned them that he's going away right and he's going to tell them the day is going to come that they're going to lock you up they're going to cast you into prison they're going to whip you they're going to beat you and they're going to think they're serving God when they do it these men that left everything to follow God and to do the work of the Lord Jesus Christ gave everything all of them save one died a martyr's death. Remember, we, the history will tell us that Peter was crucified upside down, right? Uh, James was beheaded, right? Uh, that you'll read about others that were, uh, that were thrust through with spears and killed. Every single one of them, save one, died a martyr's death. Why? Because they were preaching the gospel. Can I remind you that your hope better not be in this life? That's what he's telling them, right? He said, you've got a far better future ahead of you, but it ain't down here. At least not right now. You say, well, who was the one that didn't? The one that wrote this book. But it wasn't worth out trying, right? They did boil him in oil and put him on the Isle of Patmos for a while. And even being in that state, he could still get in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. There's a point here. If, If he could do that on the Lord's Day, being in that condition, what's our excuse? Anyway, and so he's reminding them that, hey, I've got something to do. I've got a place for you. I'm going to prepare and I'm coming back for you. Even though it's going to be rough while you're down here. I, I, I know that the Bible will tell us that when, when the Lazarus died, that the angels came and carried him to Abraham's bosom. That was prior to this verse, by the way. I, I, stand, I stand in this camp. I, I believe that when a Christian dies that the Lord himself shows up. Now, I may be wrong, and there's only going to be one way I'm going to find out. So I'll tell you when I get to heaven, but you'll know by then too. Whether I was right or wrong on this. But he's promising them something far off that's better. It, remi- it ought to remind us this, that we look around at the world in which we live in and... They better be glad I don't have the power that James and John talked about. Remember, whenever the man was, uh, the, the man, the people that they wouldn't accept Jesus, and James and John came up to the Lord and said, What is thou that we pray fire out of heaven? I, I love reading that passage. I think God's got a sense of humor, by the way, because He puts stuff like that in the Bible. Because when I read it, I'm looking at them going, You realize this is Jesus, right? He's the one that's walked on water, right? He's the one that's clean. All these people. You think he needs you to pray down fire out of heaven? I always get, I just get cracked every time I read that. There's a couple different passages like that in the Bible. But they better, people around here better be glad I don't have that power. Because there'd be something it happened to. I'd solve a lot of problems. Just get rid of the major cities and we're done. Right? But what we need to understand is this. 
what's happening, back to the first one, the firm foundation, what's happening around us is what God told us would happen, right? That not surprise us. Well, y'all, now, can I, I know we got an election coming up, and I will be more shocked if a good candidate actually wins it. I'll be surprised if that's the case. Because I see the way things are going. You tell me to see the faith I've got in this world, right? I look around and I realize that what's happening is what God told us would happen. Now, could He send us a Josiah? I hope so. And all He did was forestall the judgment. Put it off for a little bit longer. But what I see is this. What God said it's coming true. I'm standing firm on God's promises, right? But I also recognize that this is not what I'm looking forward to. My hope is not down here. That I've got a far better future. Peter or, or uh, Paul would say it this way over in the book of Philippians. He's saying this that the, as he's writing, he says, I'm in a strait betwixt two, right? He's describing his condition. He's in prison and he's facing either uh, death or release. And it's as though that the that the Lord gave him the choice whether he did or not but the way Paul presents it it's as though it's his choice because he says I'm in a straight betwixt two he means I'm in a narrow tight place and I don't know which way to go right so it sounds to me like he had a choice and he says this to stay down here it's going to be labor it's going to be hard it's going to be difficult but it's more needful for you he says but to go with me with Christ is what far better I think about my pastor that's gone on now. And yeah, somebody was talking to me about him here recently and they were giving me sympathy. And I I said, I understand. I said, and I'm going to miss my friend and I'm going to miss my pastor for a little while. But can I say, I know where he's at. And if I had all the power in me to change it, I wouldn't bring him back. You say, why is that? Because where he's at is far better than where I'm at right now. In fact, I'll tell you what my heart's desire is, is not to bring him back here, but to look toward the day when I get to be back there with him. Hey, that's the hope that a Christian has. That makes the world bearable, does it not? If we can stand on the promises, if we know that we've got a far better future ahead of us. But he didn't stop there. He goes on, he tells them, and he says, whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And I always stop here and say this too. I'm thankful for Thomas. Doubting Thomas, right? He's going to ask a question. Just like most of us would have. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? Anybody tell me how you get the, the, the way? I understand God's plan of salvation, okay? I'm not talking about that. Anybody tell you, tell me, how I'm going to get to heaven when the time comes for me to make the journey. I don't know where the door is. It ain't on my GPS. But can I tell you, I'm glad Thomas asked the question. Jesus replied, he says, I am the way. That's the plan of salvation, by the way. But also, I believe he'll get me there. He knows the way. He's been there already, right? He says, I'm the way. He says, I'm the truth and I'm the life. But he makes this statement that settles it all. He says, no man cometh to the Father but by me. He said, there is no other access. There is no other way that you can come before the Father but by me. Now, I understand there's a, there is a main implication here, which is God's plan of salvation. And I'm here to tell you that if you are here this morning and you have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you've never put your faith and trust in Him, that the firm foundation that we can stand on, the far better future that we have, you don't have that. That's why you can look around with uncertainty in this world. And that's why you can look around and be doubtful and hopeless in this world. 
But if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know that you've got something solid upon which you can stand and that you've got something far beyond. But all of that is great and all of that is wonderful. But I don't know about you. Every now and then I need somebody to pick me up. And now they're reminding us of this, that they now have access to the Father. Because if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, right? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, now you have access to the Father, right? In fact, later on in this section of Scripture, he is going to give them permission to pray in his name. Now, I'm going to remind you this, that praying in the name of Jesus is not simply a tagline that you put on the end of your prayer. Okay, Praying in the name of Jesus means you're praying that request as if Jesus was the one asking, and Jesus never asked for anything that didn't glorify the Father. It kind of makes you wonder why we got some, or kind of solves the question of why we don't always get where we think we need to get with our prayer. Our motivation is wrong. Let me get off that subject or I'll stay there too long. And so, but he's going to tell them that not only now do you have a firm foundation on which to place your faith, that you have a far better future ahead of you, but he says, now you have favor with the Father. (laughs) And to an Israelite, that would have been something incredible because remember the culture that they are raised up under, even at this point in time, because Calvary hasn't happened yet, that they can come no farther than the burnt altar. And I'm not positive that they truly could come that far. Because when I'm reading all the stuff about the tabernacle, it says bring your sacrifice to the door. Because you can't go no further. The priest has to go the rest of the way for you. And even the priest could only go so far. And they could get into that holy place, but it was only once a year, right? And with the right sacrifices that the high priest alone could go behind the main, the other veil and get into the holy of holies. And there was restricted access. By the way, you and I couldn't even get to the door, much less to the altar. Because we're not Israelites. Why the Lord, that's why Paul writing in the book of Ephesians and will say you that were sometimes afar off that were strangers and aliens to the covenants and promise I understand God made, made uh, uh, provisions for strangers and foreigners in his, in his law and that yes he would have saved us in that day but he, we were not the ones he was dealing with he was dealing with the Israelites and we still couldn't come, but come to the door you say, how do you know he got saved? Well, Ruth, Rahab, go look, you'll find them throughout the Old Testament Gentiles that came in. But can I say we live in a day and age now where I can make it, I can go farther than any of those other. And think about Joshua there in the Old Testament. You're talking about a man of God, right? Joshua couldn't go beyond the door. But I can walk past the door. And because my sins have been dealt with on the altar and the sacrifice has been made, I can go there and stop at the laver and find some cleansing for where I'm at and the things that I've, that I've picked up along the way, right? And then I can walk past into the first valley of the Holy of Holies and stand there in the presence of the lampstand and of the shoe bread and of the altar of incense there. And the veil that stood behind it has been rent in twain from the top to bottom. And I can stroll right on through past the covenant or the Ark of the Covenant to the throne of grace. You ever notice? That's where it says we go now. We don't go to the mercy seat. We go to the throne of grace. That's what it says in Hebrews. Seeing that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And so now, can I tell you that if you're here and looking around at the things that are going on and you get discouraged about the world and about the condition and about the things going around, about the state of your family and about your friends and those that are unconcerned and those that are not interested in serving the Lord and those that are not interested in accepting 
serving the Lord and that you're getting disheartened over it and you look around about time trying to quit. Remember the foundation that you stand on. Remember the future that you have. But for everything else, remember that you've got favor with the Father. Amen. The Bible says that we can cast all our cares upon Him because He careth for us. It said, and I already quoted this, be careful for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting your requests be made known unto God. Hey, do you know the reason that we carry around these burdens? The reason that we have all of these things that seem to weigh us down is because we don't have the faith that we ought to have to be able to turn it over to the Lord God Almighty. But I tell you what, when you remember you've got favor Hey, we're not coming to him as a lowly little person hoping that we have access. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we're coming boldly before the throne. I always describe that word boldly. It's not arrogant, it's confident. And I describe it this way if I go up to Garrett's Bend Road and turn into my, grand, or to turn into my father's house, who lives in my grandmother's house. For all of my life that I can remember till she got real old or then the sun was up. If I walked up to the back door of my grandmother's house, I could walk right on him. I can still do that today. I've got a key. I don't have to be stopped at the door whether it's locked or not. And you know, I, when my grandmother lived there, now the one my dad lives there, Never once in my life have I walked through that back door. I don't hardly ever go through the front door of that house. I don't care if I'm parked in front of it. I go in the back door because that's where I go. Never once in my life has anybody looked at me and says, Kurt, what do you think you're doing in this house? You don't belong here. Never, ever, ever. 44 years I've never been told I didn't belong in that house. In fact, I was accepted. I was loved. Hey, they were, they are happy that I was, I know y'all don't understand that part. They were happy that I was there. Because they were my family. I was the grandson. I'm the son now. And they're happy to see me. Can I tell you, it's no different when we come to the throne room of heaven. God, look at us. We get up there and say, what do you think you're doing up here? Hey, what do you think you're doing? You've got the right to come before my throne? I believe he'd look at us and say, where are you being? Why ain't you here more often? I was never restricted at Grandma's house about when I could and couldn't come. In fact, she'd have been happy if I come all the time. I think the Lord's the same way. And we're giving up so much by not taking our troubles, by not taking our trials, by not taking our burdens and the things that bring us down and the things that discourage us and not taking them to Him regularly and leaving them there. It's going to be a rough road for a little while. But let me remind you, we've got that firm foundation on which we can stand. Praise God, I've got a far better future. My best days are ahead. But while I'm down here, I've got favor with the Father where I can find the strength that I need. I can find the peace that passeth understanding. I can find all the help that I need to continue on serving Him, even in a dark world. That's what we need. Let not your heart be troubled. Let's try to not get downhearted. I'm not saying not to be unconcerned. I'm saying let's not be downhearted and depressed. I'm saying let us be joyful and ready to go because we're the light of this world. And the darker it is, the brighter we can shine. If you got a need here, let me invite you to come.
pray. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you've never accepted the Lord. You don't have that firm foundation, that better future, that access to the Father. It'd be a great time to come and accept Him as your Lord. As we stand and sing, if you've got a need, let me invite you.